And Zach and I are just so happy to sing this song for you. Thank you. So this is love. Thank you, everyone. Thank you all.
Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you, Lila. Thank you, Zach. So beautiful. That expansiveness, that's what we're here for. That's what this is all for. Welcome, everyone. <laughs> Hi. I love it. We have this intimate experience. I'm going to put on my gallery view so I can see all of you. Oh, there in full living color. Wow. The whole screen opens up across the world. <laughs> wow. Oh, thank you for joining in today. What an expansive topic we have today. Mastery through love, the relinquishment of fear. Well, if that topic doesn't take us all the way, I don't know what will. That's like so, it's like an invitation from Spirit to, to dive in, to really go for it. And, well, you know, the Course is pretty straightforward about love. You know, Jesus tells us at the very beginning that this Course does not aim at teaching the meaning of love, for that is far beyond what can be taught. It does aim at removing the obstacles to the awareness of love's presence. And so, when I first read that, I, I allowed myself to let go of trying to um, understand love, or trying to uh, somehow bring love into the world of concepts and think that uh, even though we call many things love in this world, that line from the Course is really pointing and saying we don't really have a clue of the vastness of this love. We may, we may get glimmerings and we may get glimpses of it, but we don't know the fullness of the divine love of, of God or heaven or our our identity as Christ. And so, he does say, when you have achieved the faintest glimmering of love, you have advanced in distance without measure, and in time beyond the count of years. So, it's, we're going to work today on, on approaching an experience that is love, uh, that is extremely vibrant and extremely vast. We've used words like unconditional, divine, uh, divine love, but, uh, and we're going to approach it through the topic of mastery through love and the undoing of this belief in fear, the relinquishment of the fear. Because when we come into A Course in Miracles, Jesus is teaching us that actually love is beyond our curriculum. Uh, love simply is. At one point in the workbook, Jesus says, God is. We say, God is, and then we cease to speak. So, if there had to be the last, the last two words ever spoken, God is, and then that's it. Just divine love and stillness. Pure, total, telepathic communication and gushing Love. He, he does call it like a song, in the Song of Prayer. But in terms of the curriculum, which is, we're talking about waking up to this, basically, 
The two perspectives that we have on anything is one of fear or one of, I'll call it forgiveness, because forgiveness is in the sleeping mind a reflection of this divine love and that's really our responsibility is learn to choose the atonement and choose to forgive. And then it says God will take the final step. It's mainly that's just a return to creation, to, to return to that purely abstract divine love. So with these two perspectives, basically the forgiveness would be our right mind and the personal perspective of perceiving the world through the five senses and through the perception of yourself as a human being surrounded by a vast world and vast cosmos, uh, that is the perspective of fear. That is the lens of fear. The personality self and the personal perspective is a, is a representation of the ego's perception of this invented, fictitious, unreal world that was made as a self-concept, not the reality of the Christ, but as a concept of self to take the place of our divinity, of our love, of our light. So, to forgive, we are being asked to reach a place of mastery through love. We're, we're to come to a place of readiness in our mind where we're ready to learn the lesson of atonement, of complete forgiveness, which is in our mind and that is the gateway back to the Kingdom of Heaven, back to eternity, back to our Divine Love. So, as with many pathways in the East, uh, there's a they have a saying called neti neti, not this, not that. So we're going to have a bit of neti neti going on today because um, I think when we start to go into this about the thought system of fear and trying to find a sense of mastery or stability through the thought system of fear, you're going to find that you will be astounded at how much your mind has has been and is is attempting mastery through fear. You will be astounded to look at this idea that, oh my gosh, I'm addicted to mastery through fear and no wonder this topic draws me mastery through love because that is the complete opposite of mastery through fear. What would mastery through fear be? Well, you know, I wanted to kind of give us a little bit of a, of a, of a jolt at the beginning, a jolt from Jesus, a Jesus jolt to try to give us a sen sense of the context of how much investment there is in mastery through fear, in using fear for survival, in using fear to overcome loneliness, in using fear to overcome a uh, sense of lack, in using fear to overcome hunger, in, in using fear to overcome meaninglessness. Uh, the ego has set up an entire self-concept an, a false identity that's based on the belief in time and space and it's projected out through the 
The sleeping mind and seemingly involves a body and other bodies and the earth and other planets and stars, all of the cosmos is part of this self-concept. The self-concept is not just your personality self or the person you believe yourself to be, that's the teeniest part of the self-concept. The self-concept involves everything that you perceive. When you look out on a clear night, like a Vincent van Gogh night, a starry starry night, and you look up at those stars that are way off, the scientists are telling us now, those, those stars are light years away and, and that light is just seemingly reaching your eye from, from many, many millions of miles, light years away. And yet those stars, that light that seems to be stars, whether they're burned out or not, those stars are part of the self-concept too. Pluto is part of your self-concept. Jupiter, Venus, self-concept, self-concept. So don't, when I say self-concept, I'm not talking about the personality self, the person you seem to be. I'm talking about the entire cosmos that you perceive is a make-believe, fictitious concept that was made to be a substitute and take the place of your Christ identity. Why is that important? Because the contrast is enormous. The actual light of Christ, the vision of Christ, which we're coming to through all this mind training and working the course and doing all these exercises and transferring the training, all just to come to the vision of Christ, is something that, it's like a new lens that replaces the way that we look at the world through the ego with Christ's vision and eventually we see our brothers, our sisters, our self as pure light and we have this expansive self-realization or self-awareness of who we really are. So, it's important to realize that the one thing you have to remember about the Course is the Course is teaching us in order to wake up to who you really are and escape the belief that you're time and space bound, you have to forgive and you have to do that through bringing the darkness within to the light. We're also told that when the mind believed it had separated from God, a, a, a traumatic, horrific uh, experience, in fact, Jesus says, into eternity where all is one, there crept a tiny mad idea at which the Son of God remembered not to laugh. So that's the Adam and Eve version of the Course. No, uh, no snakes, no men, no women, but still taking a tiny puff of an idea that you could be separate from God and taking it serious and forgetting to laugh at it. Uh, that's what this whole awakening is about now, is coming back to that gentle laughter of seeing that that's impossible to separate in that way. So, now for the Jesus jolt. The Jesus jolt is, is that everything that's perceived through the five senses, everything that you perceive without exception is a block to the awareness of love is a block to the awareness of truth. You know, when I grew up, they had all kinds of sayings, you know, only God can make a tree. Well, I finally discovered that God didn't make trees. 
God didn't make no little green apple. You know, God, God didn't make anything of this world. This time-space cosmos is a projection of the ego. And so most of us were raised with Genesis in the Bible. God created the heavens and the earth. Well, at least Genesis was half right. Let's give it some credit there. God did create the heavens. <laughs> and the ego projected everything else. And that's where the problem is. That's where the fall from grace and all the difficulties that uh, you've been writing in. Some of you have been writing in questions to me here, so I'm glad you did. I'll try to get to some of those as well. Now for the Jesus jolt. Well, the ego is a false belief and so not only is the whole cosmos that is perceived generated from the ego, but all of the, the egoic laws, competition, reciprocity, all the ego laws of uh, anything you can think of. Economics, that's ego. God didn't create economics. Nutrition, um, exercise, uh, all the laws of therm thermodynamics, all the laws of physics, uh, We'll say, uh, to be safe, we'll say all the laws of Newtonian physics, <laughs> all, all the, the laws of this world are part of this mesmerism. And so the mind has fallen asleep and forgot its reality and now it me believes a bunch of make-believe laws and it's seeing a world that reflects those make-believe laws. And so this is why I'm pointing out that all of attempts to improve the world, to improve your body, to improve your personal situation, to better your life even, to better your life as a person. Think of self-help, all the attempts to make a better self, to have a more happy self, a more vibrant self, a more loving self, and that self is still a person, that's all still within the realm of the ego, that even attempts to improve yourself as a person are, are attempts to ch make a better illusion. Actually, that's what if we call a spade a spade. It, it won't help you escape from this world because even attempts at self-help, personal self-help and personal betterment are all still egoic attempts. It's kind of like your car stuck in the mud and you're spinning your wheels in the mud and then you seem to make some progress and go, look, my wheels are spinning a little faster and the mud is flying a little bit faster and your car is still stuck. You're not really going anywhere. So I just wanted to uh, read a little snippet from uh, Lesson 76 uh, from the workbook because I think this little snippet I'm going to read is going to give you a sense that all of these ego laws these laws that the ego made up, if you believe in them, if you are following them and you believe that you can actually escape the ego or find true freedom, which is in the spirit, if you believe you can find it in this world, then that is the ultimate of self-deception. And we have to really face that. We have to say, my gosh, all this self-improvement takes a lot of energy, work, education, skill training, you know, coming back for more training, in-services and so forth. 
uh, all the training, you know, getting degrees and, and developing skills and, and, and working with mentors and building these skills are all part of that system. Here's what Jesus has to say in Lesson 76. Think of the freedom in the recognition that you are not bound by all the strange and twisted laws you have set up to save you. So he's saying that all of these ego laws have been set up to save you. And, and basically it's just that there's a darkness within, there's a, a shadow that Jung talked about, there's an unconscious mind that includes the belief in separation and it, it has engenders enormous fear to believe that you can break away from God. So even though most of it's unconscious, it's very, very dark. In fact, uh, one point Jesus talks about the self-concept as two tiers. The top tier is the face of innocence. The bottom tier, he says, is draped with sin. That's the words from Jesus. It's so dark. But think of the freedom in the recognition that you are not bound by all the strange and twisted laws you have set up to save you. So these ego laws are more of like trying to, to find salvation in something other than love. And it's basically mastery through fear. You really think that you would starve unless you have stacks of green paper strips and piles of metal discs. You really think a small round pellet or some fluid pushed into your veins through a sharpened needle will ward off disease and death. You really think you are alone unless another body is with you. It is insanity that thinks these things. You call them laws and put them under different names in a long catalog of rituals that have no use and serve no purpose. You think you must obey the, quote, laws of medicine, of economics, and of health. Protect the body and you will be saved. These are not laws but madness. The body is endangered by the mind that hurts itself. The body suffers just in order that the mind will fail to see it is the victim of itself. The body's suffering is a mask the mind holds up to hide what really suffers. It would not understand it is its own enemy, that it attacks itself and wants to die. And it is from this, this desire to die, this desire in attack, it is from this your, quote, laws would save the body. And it is for this you think you are a body. So this entire scheme of all these ego laws, of this entire cosmic self-concept is all a giant cover-up to cover over the belief in separation and to literally save the mind. Like, oh, here's, you, you threw heaven away, the ego says, so now you better, better identify with something because you blew it. And then the ego not only says you blew it, but you don't think God's just going to let you go off wandering scot-free and making up your own identity without punishing you, without there being some kind of consequence for breaking away from God. And therefore this ontological sense of guilt and fear is there. So I give you this whole context because, 
Because this is the self-concept. This is what we're going to be looking at in order to escape from the attempt at the mastery through fear, you have to see the full extent of everything that you believe and everything that you're thinking that is based on this mastery of fear to reach salvation, ego attempt. Because as soon as you start to realize what the ego is up to, you're going to want to unplug from its thought system. You're not going to want to keep feeding it. You're not going to keep one to believing in these make-believe fictitious laws and its make-believe fictitious world when your whole purpose is to wake up from these crazy laws and wake up from this world. So there's a lot of points. Some of you know in, in the mystics and saints throughout the, uh, throughout the many centuries there's been a strong attempt by the mystics and saints to to transcend the body. Uh, and Jesus, in different ways, uh, says that in the Course. You know, he, he will say, um, you still ha have too much faith in the, the comforts and conveniences of the body. Uh, he will say things like, um, um, what, what actions do you take that, that do not involve the protection of the body, or the betterment of the body, or the pleasure of the body in some way. He's basically saying that your mind is filled with so many ego beliefs and schemes to reinforce the body as your reality that you're terrified of hearing the Holy Spirit and you're terrified of this pathway that will take you back to the light. There's a huge investment in this substitute identity. And this body identity is not the light, it's very dense. And he will even say in the Obstacles to Peace, uh, one of the obstacle, well, the second obstacle to peace, he says, is the belief that the body is valuable for what it offers. And that doesn't mean just physically, psychologically. If you think, if you think education makes you more valuable, if you think intelligence, worldly intelligence makes you more valuable, or if you think anything of the body brings you something of value, what you are really saying is that there are things that are valuable in perception, in this self-concept. And Frances talked about that at the opening last night, where she was saying that every time she would notice herself getting into any kind of anxiety or stress about the movie she was making or about anything, it was because of this self-concept investment. So, once you start to realize, my gosh, anything I invest in where I believe I can better the world, I can better the body, I can better this self-concept, anything at all will actually be nothing but a block to remembering the truth and waking up. As long as you have investment in the body in any way, shape or form, I mean, physically, psychologically, if you believe in the value of the family, of the lineage, you know, of the, of the children, the, the grandchildren, the babies, anything of perception, anything in the realm of perception is part of this self-concept. There's a great uh, line in the Course where Jesus says, nothing so blinding as perception of form. 
The sight of form means that understanding has been obscured. I'm just going to repeat that because it's so profound. That absolutely nothing, nothing so blinding as perception of form. The sight of form means that understanding has been obscured. And then the goal of the curriculum, regardless of the form you choose, is know thyself. There is nothing else. Know thyself as the Christ. The ancient Greeks called it know thyself. That was the, the that was coming to truth, coming to the oneness. So when I have said repeatedly over these last twenty some odd years that it's a perceptual problem, the very idea of perceiving through the body's eyes and perceiving a fragmented world is the problem. The problems aren't relationship problems, the problems aren't economic problems, the problems aren't um, problems of, of disease or environmental problems. The problems are not of an interpersonal nature. The problems are not of a personal nature. The problems are not even of a personal psychic nature. The problems are a perceptual problem of believing in a world that has no reality in existence and, and having an investment in anything of that cosmic projection. If you believe that you want something from the world, I have often said the world will seem to want something from you. Uh, when people say, well, you know, I have trouble with society and the rules of society. I have trouble in my own household, the rules that are in my household. I have trouble with the laws and the rituals and the rules of this world. Well, they came from the ego and as long as you believe in any aspect of the cosmos, you're saying that you want those limitations. Those are, these are all limiting laws. These don't have anything to do with heaven or the law of love. They're all limitations. Now let's let's have one more aspect of this Jesus jolt because I'm trying to expose here what is mastery through fear. Because how are you going to relinquish fear if you're still attracted to it? Talk about schizophrenic. Why would you want to relinquish something that you still are attracted to and you still find valuable? You know? Jesus is like saying to us, it's okay, you can let it go. And you've got your fist clenched around something and Jesus says, please let it go. It's, you want to be happy, right? Yeah. You want to be peaceful? Yeah. And okay, why is your fist still clenched? Why are you still clinging to these make-believe fictitious laws that God didn't even create and they're bringing you hurt and havoc? They're depressing you, they're making you feel pain and suffering, and you've got your fists so tightly clenched, he's like saying, please, can you give me one finger at least, open up your fist a little bit, and let's loosen this up. So let's, let's jump ahead to chapter 20, because I thought we all need a good Jesus jolt before we get into this uh, mastery of love talk. Uh, you know, we really have to understand First of all, how invested am I in, in fear? <laughs> and, and if I am super invested in fear, and maybe I've forgotten that, maybe I think, 
you know, I'm just a human being. I'm only human, born to make mistakes, and you know, I'm, I'm doing the best I can and everything, and okay, I might have a few uh, crazy things going on in my mind, but uh, I'm, not a, I'm not like a major addict or anything like this, and you know, I have some fear, I, uh, yeah, I get some fear, comes up every once in a while, but it's not like it's like total fear, I'm not like, like psychotic and, and uh, just totally overwhelmed by fear. So let's look at some of the subtleties of, uh, of what this uh, Mastery Through Fear is about. I remember the first time I read this, this, uh, this section, I was reading it in a course group and you should have seen the looks on the people around me. They were looking at me like I was from another planet, like, who wrote this and what are you talking about and you, you can't be serious. He's not serious, right? He's just joking here, what can't he possibly be serious? But I, it, it starts off with a very nice title, The Gift of Lilies. It's, some of you want to follow along, it's from chapter, looks like 20, The Gift of Lilies. Look upon all the trinkets made to hang upon the body, or to cover it, or for its use. Okay, he's talking about some jewelry, hang upon the body, maybe a hat, scarf, or to cover it. Okay, he's talking about clothes, shoes, okay, alright. Okay, look upon all the trinkets made to hang upon the body, or to cover it, or for its use. See all the useless things made for its eyes to see. Oh wow, that's a lot. How many useless things have my body's eyes seen in 61 years? I can't even count that high. Uh, how many images have I got? Okay. Think on the many offerings made for its pleasure. Hmm. Going out to eat, sex, watching a beautiful sunset, you know, just imagine, think on, on the many offerings made for its pleasure, the body's pleasure. And remember, all these were made to make seem lovely what you hate. You mean every single offering that I've ever perceived in these 61 years that were offerings made for the body's pleasure, and, and remember all these were made to make seem lovely what you hate. What I hate? You're saying that I hate my body? Some of you can relate to it a little bit, but that seems like pretty strong <laughs> to make seem lovely what you hate. That basically, this false identity contains a lot of fear, and a lot of guilt, and a lot of anger, and a lot of hatred, and it's going on in the mind, and then the mind is using the body, and all these trinkets, and all these other things of time and space, as a giant distractive device, to what? To face the self-hatred that's in the mind, to face the unconscious mind. It's, it's like a giant hologram, to use the Star Trek term. It's a giant distractive device to distract the mind away from be still and know that I'm God. It's a giant distractive device to keep from f releasing darkness, exposing darkness, letting it up, letting it out, and healing, coming to true healing. 
Would you employ this hated thing to draw your brother to you and to attract his body's eyes? Wow! Would I employ the body, this hated thing, to draw your brother to you and to attract his body's eyes? Learn you but offer him a crown of thorns, not recognizing it for what it is, and trying to justify your own interpretation of its value by his acceptance. Yet still the gift proclaims his worthlessness to you, as his acceptance and delight acknowledges the lack of value he places on himself. Well, that first paragraph is an expose on, on how any investment or seeking any worthiness or any value whatsoever in a body or anybody, or trying to gain pleasure through it, which most of us grew up, you know, that was part of our dualistic perception of the world, where there's pleasures and pains and you try to maximize the pleasures and minimize the pains. He's basically telling us, to the extent that you're invested in the body as part of your identity, then you will be using mastery through fear as your attempt at salvation. You will try to find your peace of mind and your happiness through that body identity. And you may try many variations, and you can talk about it as lifetimes, or you could talk about it as, as all of the attempts, part of the human condition, to alleviate pain, loneliness, emptiness, lack, suffering, through using something, what Jesus would call external. It's really external to you. He says, the body is outside you, but it seems to surround you. So when he says external, he's saying anything of the body and the cosmos that you're looking to, to fulfill yourself, to find that peace, that wholeness, that happiness, that completion that you truly want, is basically, you're using it as as an attempt with fear. You're trying to reach a mastery, a stability. You're trying to stabilize your identity through fear. And he's telling us throughout the course, it will not work. Uh, it doesn't care how predominant it is. It may seem to be legion, it may seem to be most everybody you know is doing the same thing. But he's saying that entire perception is a giant deception from knowing who you are. Now, Here's an interesting line to start the second paragraph. You know, the first one is just, it's kind of a wipeout. It's a Jesus jolt, the first paragraph. And then the beginning of the second paragraph, you know, I, I was raised in a family where we, we exchanged gifts at Christmas, we exchanged gifts at birthday. You know, with your partner or your relationship, you, you give lots of gifts. It's fun to give gifts and gifts and gifts, but, but basically, uh, you know, all the gifts that I was used to giving in Christmas and whatever, candy and Easter or uh, Mother's Day, Father's Day, we have events all during the year to give gifts. Uh, this is what he starts off with in the second paragraph. Gifts are not made through bodies if they be truly given and received. Okay, another atomic bomb. You just wiped out my entire history 
of gift giving there with one sentence. Gifts are not made through bodies. All the gifts that I ever gave to mom and dad and all of them were all gifts, were material gifts. And he's saying in the first sentence, gifts are not made through bodies if they be truly given and received. For bodies can neither offer nor accept, hold out nor take. Only the mind can value, and only the mind decides on what it would receive and give. Now, that can seem kind of harsh, based on our experiences as human beings and earthlings. It can be like, oh, come on, now gifts are not made through bodies. Well, that's going to be kind of hard to give them away if uh, I can't use my arms and, you know, it's uh, it's... It's going to be really difficult, but actually he's preparing us for our miracle working function. He's going to be saying, you know, you have a lot of miracles in your mind, a storehouse of miracles that the Holy Spirit and Jesus wants you to give away, and they will radically change your perception of everything and everyone. In fact, as you give, you will receive, and as you learn to accept your function as a miracle worker, you will transcend your entire perception of the world, your little tiny personal perception of the world will be lifted up. And as it says, and every gift it offers depends on what it wants. In other words, what the mind wants is, is what it's giving. If it's valuing the body or material things and things and stuff, you know, it will, uh, it will adorn its chosen home most carefully, making it ready to receive the gifts at once by offering them to those who come unto its chosen home, or those it would attract to it. And there they will exchange their gifts, offering and receiving what their minds judge to be worthy of them. You know, to me, when I first read the Course back in 1986, and then I just started reading it for like eight hours a day, I really took it on. This was not some kind of an intellectual exercise of reading a book or doing lessons over and over for years upon years upon years. This is actually asking you to have a transformation of your consciousness by actually taking this on and transferring the training and really linking into what Jesus is talking about. And I noticed that I would like take it so much to heart that even when Christmas time came around or I would go to a birthday party or whatever, I really started to practice this, that my mind had all these amazing gifts of happiness and joy and peace to offer. I also took, a, a, I also let go of my job, my career, my future, my future plans, my future ambitions, and so I decided I'm just going to live in the miracle and really take this on to be, he's saying I have to take it on to be the savior of the world, to know myself, myself is ruler of the universe, the salvation of the world comes through me. I mean, I was reading the workbook lessons and I thought, this is a whole system that is telling me that I need to live in a completely different way than I've been living. I need to think differently. I need to have different thoughts in my mind. And it's not going to matter if I make a few changes in form here and there, or if I just continue on trying to bring the light of truth down into the personality self or into the perceptual world. 
because it was clear from the Course it doesn't work that way. You can't bring the truth into illusions. You can only bring the illusions of your split mind, of your sleeping mind to the truth. And they will disappear. And I remember um, one year, uh, my niece, uh, my niece was having her birthday party and I remember going to the birthday party without a, without a physical presence. And I remember I thought, well, okay Jesus, I'm trusting you, but I don't know how this is going to go after these years of bringing presents to show up there and just be in the joy of being a miracle worker. And it was really beautiful because um, I think at one point when we were alone, she looked at me with her, her eyes and she said, Uncle David, didn't you get me a present? And, and I thought, here we go. <laughs> you know, this is where the rubber meets the road. And I, Jesus said something through me like, well, every time I play with you and all the joy that we share and the happiness and everything of being there and, and sharing all this joy, that's the present. And you know, she totally reflected that back to me. She said, okay. And that was it. The, the sad face was gone in an instant and it was swept away by the joy of the miracle. And we played and did all kinds of things and the love was still there without the physical presence. It was, it was just a, a, a moment of hesitation where she looked at me like, what's, there's something different about this picture. And that not, that not only was there, but it transferred to everything in my life. I started to value my attitude. I started to value sharing the love in my heart with everybody I met, to really be with them, listen to their heart, listen to what the Holy Spirit was speaking through them to me. And it was so joyful, it was so miraculous, it just transformed everything. From going from a life of trying to have the body be the recipient of all this work, why do you work careers and jobs except to earn money for houses and cars and clothes and, and stuff and more stuff and more stuff? And Jesus was saying, listen, you've got to release the value you place in that body. I'll use your body to speak through it. I'll take you. He took me speaking these ideas to six continents and on many, many, forty-some countries and on and on and around and around. But all it was was me allowing the spirit to use the body just as a communication device and not as an end in and of itself. In other words, to the ego, the body is, is your home. It's your identity and it says it's good and fine to improve that identity, to let that identity be the recipient of all the stuff and things of the world. Fame, fortune, recognition, uh, adulation, uh, all kinds of things that are really just pride. The ego wants us to puff up this little personality self and have a puffed up prideful identity that takes the place of the Christ, because it's got to make it into something, you know. It's it's a it's a huge distortion to forget that you're the Christ and to to believe that you've taken on a bodily identity. So, 
I just went through that paragraph and a little bit of the second one there to give you an idea of how different this pathway is from what we would call conventionally living, make the best of it on planet Earth. This is a radical departure from make the best of it on planet Earth because make the best of it on planet Earth involves the body being the end, not the means. Involves a, a total valuation and focus upon the body as the recipient of many, many things. And the Course teaches us, no, it's just part of your perception, but there's no difference between a baby and a button. There's no difference between a, a person and, uh, and some perfume. Uh, there, there is no difference all of the images are equally projections and none of them is you. Not any single one of them. There is a, a forgiven, forgiveness, there is a real world or a happy dream in your mind and that's an illusion too. But when you find this illusion in your mind, it's the one illusion that takes you out of all the rest. It's the one illusion, forgiveness, that cures your identity confusion of thinking you're a human and you're flesh. It takes you back so far toward the light that it's literally the forgiven world and the happy dream are, are actually the gateway to heaven, the gateway to nirvana. Now, what does this have to do with mastery through love? Well, the Course is so simple because everything that the Course teaches is about forgiveness. Everything teaches to bring it all back to your mind. You know, in Lesson 132, Jesus says, there is no world apart from what you think. In other words, you have a powerful mind. If you think egoic thoughts and hold on to egoic beliefs, you will have a perceptual hallucination that will convince you that you are something that you are not. And that how powerful is that mind? Lesson 152, the power of decision is my own. He says, you may think that's kind of extreme, but everything you perceive in the cosmos, and I mean throughout all of history of the cosmos, Hitler, Mussolini, everything you've ever perceived, the Stone Age is from your mind. You know, every thing in the entire cosmos is a projection of this one mind, this sleeping mind. And it has not left its source. It's still in the sleeping mind that thought it up. It's not really out there. And the only way to turn things around, as Byron Katie would say, turn it around, is you need mind training. There has to be lots and lots of mind training to reach this state of mind, this forgiveness. And so, how fantastic that we have an opportunity to go for forgiveness together and actually go for mastery through love. That's what forgiveness is, is mastery through love. It's letting the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit solve every problem that you perceive. Every single problem that you perceive. And that's this is also the value of, of these online retreats because I just love that you you write out your uh, your questions, that you pour out your heart 
and you write out these questions because I see when you're doing that, you're saying, well, I'm not going to, I'm just laying it all out. Here's what I'm going through, here's what I'm struggling with, and now how can I learn, how can I experience mastery through love with this situation that's repeating in my life or that I've been dealing with in a very intense way? How can, how can I make the shift from, from fear and fear-based ways of, of trying to solve the problem to the, the mastery through love, which is the forgiveness in the mind. So I'm going to go through uh, some of these um, questions that you've written in because um, they, are, they are so heartfelt and, and I do feel that these questions are the cusp, this is the cusp of awareness of opening up to mastery through love. Tina from Stockholm, Sweden, and Tina writes in about an issue that she's been having for a while, and um, she says, for more or less for one year now, since I decided and started to create my new company and business, um, she's been starting to have these feelings of um, excitement about starting up a new business, and then she's also feeling like, what am I doing and is this really the direction? Because it can be like starting up a new business. She's starting to remember the teachings that are saying, don't value anything of this world, turn within for the answers, and, and it's by putting all your faith in the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the Holy Spirit that you will free your mind. And so, um, it's, a, it's a painting, uh, painting method called Vedic Art, and it's doing workshops, mandala painting, and basically it feels meaningful, and then it seems to go well with the course, but she also feels stuck in anxiety between doing it and not doing it. Like, okay Jesus, come on, give it to me straight. Do you want me to start a business here and get involved with everything that goes with starting a business, or are you calling me, are you calling me to to meditate, are you calling me in some other kind of way? You know, it's it's back and forth. What I noticed though is it went on, your question says, um, you were concerned about feeling guilty for valuing something of this world. I am, I am trying to build up something and to achieve success in this, that sense that it can support me economically and that makes me feel guilty for trying to achieve something in the world. It goes on to say too that this is based also that her ex-husband, Tina, your ex-husband has been very supportive in giving and with finances and so forth, but you do feel a sense of dependence with economic support from your ex-husband that makes you it possible for you to continue building your company and so on and so forth. So this is where we have to really go into the purpose, because the purpose, it's the purpose for the business. It's the purpose underneath that is where your power of decision comes in. Jesus is telling us that, that purpose is really the only choice that we have left. In heaven there aren't any decisions to be made, there are no choices whatsoever. It's just absolute oneness. 
the leaping off point of the real world and forgiveness, there is a, heaven is the decision I must make. I will accept the atonement for myself. You know, it's clearly forgiveness is a decision in the mind, but it's a decision unlike any other decision because it's not a decision between forms. It's a decision of purpose, going from fear and guilt and hatred and shame to to love as your motive. So, to help clarify this for you, Tina, what I'm sharing with you right now is that the more you turn purely to guidance, not trying, not guidance to try to solve a specific problem as you believe it is, like an economic problem or a dependency on an ex-husband problem, because if you have already defined the problem and you're trying to do something in form specifically to overcome a problem that you've defined already in form, that is a prime example of mastery through fear. Mastery through love is is being so prayerful, so clueless, that the guidances can start to drop and you may be inspired in all kinds of ways from these guidances, but the difference of the Holy Spirit's guidance is that the Spirit knows that it's a way to unwind your mind from that self-concept, not to reinforce the self-concept as being real. In other words, what mastery of fear is, is acknowledging the fear is real and then trying to do something to get rid of it or do something to solve it. That is not mastery through love. Love doesn't see a problem. You have to remember that love is so expansive and the Holy Spirit doesn't see a problem. And Christ's vision doesn't see a problem. And remember, the Holy Spirit, Christ's vision, the real world, the happy dream, that is the solution. That guidance that's taking you towards that happy dream is, is the solution. And all of the problem-solving mechanisms that we've learned from the past, all the techniques, you want to handle poverty, get a good job. We want to do it on a long-term basis, get a good career. You know, that's using education, it's using skills, it's using work to try to solve a perceived problem of economic lack. Um, it's the same with hunger, you know, for most people would say, well, if you want to solve your hunger problem, uh, you know, you might try getting some food and eating. This is another example of, this is mastery through fear, that's right, going to that restaurant and and filling your mouth and your belly up with food is a way to, it's temporarily, it's magic, it's like a little potion, a little spell where you have the hunger and then Oh, you eat the meal and it's gone for a little while. What did Jesus say in the Bible to the woman at the well? Remember the woman at the well, that parable? Drink of me and you will never thirst again. You could say that about the same with food. Eat of me, eat of my teachings, eat of my clarity, eat of my Tap into my vision, tap into my forgiveness, and you will never thirst again, you will never hunger again, 
You will never struggle again. You will never perceive lack again. You will never look outside yourself in bodies and images for love again. Drink of me. Drink of these ideas. Drink of these teachings. They're just amazing teachings. They're spectacular teachings. Because why? Because they work. They're, in fact, they work so effectively if you give yourself fully over to the teachings. And you, you know, he says in the workbook, you know, don't do more than one lesson a day, and if possible, make no exceptions to the lesson of the day. He's telling you the more you you immerse yourself into these teachings and you practice them every day and you don't make exceptions, then this is where you find the true freedom, the true joy. The peace that passeth the understanding of the world. Try to find it in form, you will never understand it and you'll just be shaking your head no matter how many years you attempt to figure out relationships, to figure out how this world works. I can tell you right now, and I'm going to tell you the, the God's honest truth, you will never figure this world out. You will never understand this world. This world was put in place by the ego to block you from understanding. And like I said earlier, nothing so blinding as perception of form. The sight of form means that understanding has been obscured. If this world is a distraction device, how do you think you could ever understand anything? You think you can understand the cloaking device and be happy? Do you think you can understand the holograms and be happy? If this world is like a giant Star Trek holodeck, could you ever really understand the holodeck when the holodeck is all part of a scheme or a defense mechanism to keep you from knowing who you truly are. So, thank you Tina for writing that in because that being somebody who's divorced, who wants a sense of, of flow and creativity without a conflict around um, survival, making a living, and so on and so forth. You know, those are, the, those are similar to the things I had when I had gone through 10 years of university and then Jesus was like asking me to make a commitment to turn my mind, my heart, my soul, my life, my resources, everything over to Jesus uh, when I was about 20, 27 years old and I'm, I've just finished like 10 years of university and, and I really got my calling like Mother Teresa talks about where he's like, he's like, I need you to trust me and I need you to give it all, give it all to me. And, and to the extent that, that it was given over to Jesus, to that extent is an opening in the mind for peace and joy and happiness, for true happiness that doesn't go away, for stability, for stable emotions. That was made all the difference. Carrie Carty from Canada was talking, wrote in about experiencing a thyroid and hormonal crash. It appeared to come out of nowhere. Um, and having, I've had these random crashes my whole life, despite a very healthy lifestyle. I practiced forgiveness each time and this time I really leaned on spirit more 
than I had before, but I found that I could not get in touch with any joy. There was so much depression and darkness for three to four months. I want to understand how to experience peace in an instant and under all circumstances and felt like I tried everything and every prayer during that period of time with no relief to come for months. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you for for writing in because again when we look at 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 hormones, we look at the thyroid and again we look at the medical model, we can look at DNA, we can look at the the neurons, the peptides, we can look at all aspects of what what science and the medical model tells us about the body. And then when we start working with Jesus, the master teacher of A Course in Miracles and the Holy Spirit, basically what we're going to learn about the body and the seeming illnesses of the body is that um, we've had it all wrong. I mean, we've had it wrong in the biggest way. We've been so mistaken about sickness that we are clueless. And the more we read from the medical model, the more we're gone down a pathway of just of darkness and distortion. How is that so? Well, if you go back to the manual for teachers of A Course in Miracles, you know, they pose some questions to Jesus and one of the ones that I really enjoyed was when they asked Jesus, how is healing accomplished? Well, that's what you're asking right there. That's what your question is about, Carrie. And I'm just going to click on the manual for teachers and I'm going right back to that section that I was talking about. How, number five in the manual for teachers, how is healing accomplished? And he says at the beginning of that, he says, healing is accomplished the instant the sufferer no longer sees any value in pain. Who would choose suffering unless he thought it brought him something and something of value to him? He must think it is a small price to pay for something of greater worth. For sickness is an election, a decision. It is the choice of weakness in the mistaken conviction that it is strength. I'm going to jump down because here's the key. I always like to get to the key point. Like, where's he going with all this? Wow, that's a radical idea. Sickness is a decision, but what's the point? He says, healing must occur in exact proportion to which the valuelessness of sickness is recognized. One need but say, there is no gain at all to me in this, and he is healed. But, to say this, one must recognize certain facts. And here we go. He's, he's given it to us straight, you know, he's not hiding anything from us. He's showing us from an illumined mind what is necessary. There's certain facts that are necessary to be healed in an instant. And you're aware from your question that this is what you would like. You, you said, I, uh, I tried everything and, and every prayer during the period of time, but I want to understand how to experience peace in an instant and, and under all circumstances. And here he is. He's answering you directly right here. First, it is obvious that decisions are of the mind and not the body. 
People don't choose to be sick. People are constructs, people are images. It's like saying, uh, my mouse has decided to be sick today. You know, I'm, I'm ready to do this online retreat and I got up to my room and then, look at this, the mouse decided to get sick. I've got a global uh, gathering going and now my mouse has shown up sick. Uh, I don't know why it picked today to decide, but, but we think of people as having private minds and private thoughts and private decision makers and sometimes they choose to be sick and sometimes they choose to be healthy. No, basically the, those are all constructs of a person. And basically, he says, if, if it is a decision, it is the mind and not the body that makes it. So it wasn't Carrie who decided to have these issues with the thyroid and the hormonal crash. It wasn't Carrie. It's much deeper than that. It was, this was a decision in the mind. Now, what else can we know about that? If it is a decision in the mind and not the body that makes it, he says this, and this is why we're talking about the self-concept, and this is why I talked about all the stuff I talked about today, because without a context, it's like, wow, well I wish I would not choose to be sick, that's pretty dark, making myself sick. But, but the, res the resistance to recognizing that the mind is the decision maker is enormous. He says, the resistance to recognizing this, which is that the, it's the mind that makes decisions, is enormous because the existence of the world as you perceive it depends on the body being the decision maker. That's right. That flips the whole world around. If you are the dreamer of the dream and all those characters that you perceive in the entire dream and all those planets and all those stars and all those trees and all those mountains and oceans, if everything has been put there through a projection and through a decision in your mind to not be the Christ and to instead make up a self-concept and project it out there, and then you even project the mind's ability to make decisions onto these characters. And now you're assigning decision-making capacity and mental capacity to these images. These figures, these, these dream figures are, are nothing but projections of the mind. You probably have seen some of my YouTube videos. People are not people. People are thoughts. But when you project the decision-making of this powerful, powerful mind to carry living in Canada and dealing with uh, the thyroids and the hormone crash, you, it, this is part of the self-concept that I've talked about. And this is why it's so important. This is why I'm giving you the whole context of what the Course is really saying. Because as long as you identify with a figure in the dream, as long as you're identified with being David or Mandara, Carlos or Leslie or Deborah, Mitha, you know, Melissa, as long, Esther, as long as we're identified, Stephanie, as long as we're identified, William, as being the dream characters, 
that is not an, a truthful uh, state and that is actually the height of deception to believe that you have now taken on a tiny little body personality self only so that you would forget the power of the mind and you would forget that you have the power of decision. And if you decided for the ego and the making of this world, you can also choose to unmake this world. <laughs> you made it up, but you can unmake it. You can let it go. Your mind is so powerful, it can make it up and it can let it go. But you have to recognize the power of the mind and the power of thoughts in order to do this. Now, why, are, why is the mind so resistant to seeing how powerful it is? Well, because it's afraid that if it has the power that I'm talking about, then it has the power to miscreate. In other words, it has the power to misuse its divinity, its divine light and love, and to make up something other than truth, other than love, other than God, other than Christ. That's where the fear comes in, is the power, believing that those thoughts are real. And that's why you need the Holy Spirit's help to show you, you don't have the power to have private thoughts. You never had the power to have a private mind. You never had the power to usurp God's power, God's love and light. But in order to heal, as Jesus seemed to heal the sick and raise the dead, you first have to start to realize that you are the dreamer of this dream and all the characters in the dream are there through the making of the ego. And the way that this is done is, is miracle after miracle after miracle. If you just give your life over in a very devotional way and say, use me. I'm giving you everything that I seem to have. Holy Spirit, Jesus, you are in charge. I don't know the way, but you do. Why would I think myself as a dream figure, as a person, would know the way out of the dream? Yeah, next time you're dreaming at night, why don't you just remember this question and ask one of the dream figures, do you know how to get out of here? <laughs> and I hope the dream figure is Jesus. <laughs> Because I hope, I hope you have Jesus in your dreams, because he'll tell it to you straight, like I'm telling you. Like, like, like the Wizard of Oz, Dorothy, Glenda the Good Witch says, Dorothy, you always had the power to go home. You always had the power, she tells Dorothy. You always had the power to go home. And that's what Jesus is doing with the Course. He's saying, you have the power to go home, but the only way you're going to activate that power. The only way you're going to remember that beautiful God-given power of the power of your mind is through miracles. And the only thing you need is the willingness to be used by Jesus and the Holy Spirit. You don't have to be have a great intellect. You don't have to be a historian. You don't have to know how the world works. You don't have to be some famous mathematician or or quantum physicist, or medical doctor, or PhD, all you have to do is have that willingness. And then as Francis was talking about, your day-to-day -day interactions, moment by moment, as you give yourself over and just say, use me. I, I'm not, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this, but I know you know the way. 
use me, use the body, use everything that I perceive in this world to reach that glorious forgiven world, that glorious healed and happy state of mind that, that is forgiveness. And to me that's the way it's gone. I, I know, I just, I did not like to travel, David did not like to travel, and yet the guidance was, hit the road. Instead of hit the road, Jack, hit the road, David. We're, we're going on an adventure. Oh my God, you know, I, I did not even like to travel, but, but there was lots. I see some of you, I've, I see Jeff there, I, I was up with Jeff, doing up in um, Vancouver Island, showing movies. I see Sarah up there with Gary Bernard and a different, yeah, I mean, I was launched all over in a, in a whole different series of encounters and events, holy encounters, but was really only just my desire to, to heal, to know wholeness, to expand, to open up. But you, as a person, that's why you feel anxiety sometimes, or fear, or doubt, or hesitation. Um, like uh, like Stephanie, you know, was was talking about last night. Where just like the prayer of trying to come clear with this, and and trying to face this guilt. She was saying there's, there seems to be this guilt that's that's underneath it, but she was just praying and praying to be shown. You know, or Rudy, Rudy so beautiful, I mean, there was, you were in the dark talking last night and I happened to pop on at two something, three something in the morning and there you were, and I could hear you, you know, you such a strong call, you know, to wake up, and yet this ego part of the mind is like, how am I, how am I Rudy going to do this? And, 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 do I, is there any kind of steps or recognition? Like I'm open, but please make it obvious. Like I'm, I'm kind of hitting a wall here. It's getting very frustrating to hit this wall of doubt and darkness. And I could just feel underneath it, your heart is just so willing, so willing to just be shown the way. And and your prayer goes up to Jesus. And Jesus is, is coming through today in the, this Mastery Through Love to say, yes, you won't find it in anything of this world. You won't find it by trying to, to master that fear. You, you actually have to let the forgiveness, the release, the letting go, the love that's deep inside you has got you in the tractor beam and it's, it's, it's drawing you up into the light. And, and being there with Jesse and every person that you've met and everything that's going on in your dream world is all part of an orchestration to beam you back, beam you up into the light. And you don't have to figure it out in terms of human decisions. To me, if I could convey one thing to you is that somehow when I just made this decision to like go for it, I didn't even know what it was, but just to follow Jesus and follow Jesus in any way that would look. That decision, that devoted decision to just follow and trust has, was so, so important. 
in my life. That, that has been the key. And even if you get to the end of the workbook lessons, uh, at the very end of the workbook lessons, the last five lessons of the workbook are, you know, this holy instant, what I give to you, be you in charge, for I would but follow. Those, out of a whole year of training your mind, the way Jesus ends his workbook is, is basically, I'm going to give you this moment right now, and I want you to lead me. Be you in charge. It's like saying, I, as a person, I do not know the way. I do not know the way. I cannot figure it out. But I'm willing to trust, and I'm going to keep coming in your direction, no matter what it takes. I am not going to give up on this. I'm going to be steadfast and, and come towards you. And to me, that's what's made all the difference. I have people that I know Jesus has, has seemed to transform their perceptions and touch their lives just by things that have come through me, because we end up talking about it. You know, here we are in, in Spain now, on this island in the Mediterranean, and a few nights ago, we, when Sevi first came here from Greece, she just was shaking her head saying, it wasn't I that made the decision to come here. It was almost like, there's, there is this presence that's orchestrating things, and as much as we think that we're individually making decisions, even important decisions, I feel like the angels are just laughing because there is a presence that is us, that's above us, so to speak, our higher self and the Holy Spirit and Jesus. And, and Jesus is saying, if you will be a miracle worker for me, I will arrange time and space for you. There's a lot of arranging going on. Perceptions being arranged, people being arranged, situations being arranged. There's a lot going on from the higher realm that's, that's helping us clear our minds. And it's not that our little private little minds and thoughts, they aren't involved in this. You know, that's just a belief that we have separate minds and separate bodies, that we're separate persons. That's just a hallucination. <laughs> We've been hallucinating separation. And the love is pulling us higher and higher into this unified perspective where we all, where we just laugh in the end. We go, oh my God, I thought that was so serious. And then Jesus is there, all the angels were all laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing, thinking, how could I have ever taken this so serious, you know? Some of you know I, I like these, uh, these kind of um, series that I find on Amazon Prime and uh, Netflix. And uh, a couple days ago, uh, Deanna was telling me that she said, well, check out this episode of season three of uh, Black Mirror. And so I watched it and um, it was such a cool, a cool little uh, episode because it was a, a futuristic um version of war, where there's soldiers and and they've got all the high-tech equipment now and uh, apparently this is like futuristic war where they, they're, they're more effective and efficient in killing 
you know, the first time I'm watching it, I'm like, wow, this is pretty wild. And then at the end, they find out that they studied the First World War and they studied the Second World War and and progressively throughout history they found out that when soldiers were enlisted to fight for their countries and kill other human beings, that when they finally got out there into battle and they had their guns and everything, that that a large percentage of the soldiers, like like only 15% could could pull the trigger because it was so against their everything, their nature, and so the effectiveness was really poor in early wars, and they tried to come up with, uh, you know, better ways, but people, soldiers were hesitating to kill people, even though they were paid and trained to be good soldiers. Well, in this futuristic war, it turns out that the government wants to make killing more efficient, so it designs this kind of, this kind of implant uh, that goes into their their brains, and it's called mess, and it basically, it disguises their perceptions so that when they go out on a mission that anybody that the government has decided is the enemy, the mess programming in their brains distorts their perception to make them seem like they're these ghoulish, uh, ghoulish looking faces with pointy teeth, and it distorts the perception so that they really look like they're the enemy. Like, and they even call, have a name for them, they call them the enemy is the roaches. And so, there's this one soldier that's going around killing these roaches, he thinks, but the, all they are are just civilians, but they're just uh, tricked into believing with this programming that they're the enemy. And uh, he starts to use this device that one of the, quote, roaches gives him and he starts to, it just takes away the effects of the programming. And then he's horrified that he's, that they're killing each other. And he sees them as, as humans, you know, like, oh my gosh, these aren't enemies, these are fellow human beings. In one sense, this is what Jesus is doing. He's like saying, you've got this mass ego programming going on in your mind, and you don't realize it, but the people that you live with, the people that you interact with, the people we're doing right now, and the ones you see all over the world, they're actually you, but there's this mass programming that makes them look like bodies instead of pure light. And they take all these different shapes and forms, and when you are plugged into this mass programming, you actually think that they're other than you, that they're not you. They're other than you, just like in the the Black Mirror episode. So I was watching this episode uh, last night going, wow, that's the problem, is the ego has tricked the mind into thinking that our brothers and our sisters aren't really the Christ and just pure light, that they're these dense little shape forms. And uh, that they're actually not who we are, they're other than us. That's why we have interpersonal relationships. That's why we have groups. That's why we're trying to collect these bodies in different constellations and configurations and call them families or churches or countries or Course in Miracles students or you name it, anything you want. They're just, it's just programming in our mind 
that is messing up our perception and making it seem like they're not us. And then Jesus gives, of course, the correction. He says, when you meet anyone, remember it's a holy encounter. As you see him, you will see yourself. As you treat him, you will treat yourself. As you think of him, you will think of yourself. Never forget this, for in him you will find yourself or lose yourself. He's designed this beautiful curriculum for us to follow, to just have one realization, the simplest realization ever, that there's only one of us. There's only ever been one of us, one Christ, not multiple Christ. <laughs> we don't have to worry about finding our soul mates because there is only one soul. There is only one spirit, there is only one self, and it's just been a trick to think that we're, we're separate. Okay, that's my spiel for today. So, how are we doing? We still have time, Jeff. <laughs> I think we have time for some live interactions here. So, uh, I didn't even get a chance to, to go into all of the questions, but um, Yep, I went down every one of them. I just went through a couple. Joni, yep, I think it's just a matter of time. You're, I think you're going to be coming to live in community, and you know it deep in your mind, but there's, there's still some uh, time thoughts in it that are still there that has to kind of wash away. Uh, Miranda, yep, I think you're coming to Mexico for sure. I, f I feel it's, uh, it's coming, yep. Cheryl, down there in Texas, you know, your husband died in March and, you know, you seem to lose yourself into caring for him and now you're, you're coming back. You're coming back, all right. You, you know, you have a mighty calling and, and your husband was a very big part of your life and a very big opportunity for, for forgiveness and everything, but it just, it's kind of like those habits of interpersonal relationships can be like heavy overlays that get overlaid so strong and we still feel some, some like we're stuck or we're guilty, but, but there's a lot coming there. I, I mean, we'll go through some of these, uh, I think, um, Adriano, Stephanie, Sabine, we'll go through some of those uh, tomorrow morning, Esther. But uh, I would love to open it up Jeff, and just um, have a nice uh, interaction here with the time that we have here. Okay, great. We got a couple of hands coming up. Uh, Muna, go ahead. Oh yes, hi. I lost you for a second. Yes, hi. You can hear me, okay? Yes. 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 I saw that uh, Black Mirror, David. It was very profound for me because uh, in this world, you know, the character Muna has complex PTSD. And so what, does, what that does to my brain is I don't distinguish between friend and foe. And when I saw that it's the program and the perception, it was very revealing. But uh, I want to expose a block, a huge block to love, which is the belief in death, and um, I can't really untangle it. I can't unpack it, uh, but 
I, I don't know if it's a memory in the dream or a false memory or is it like a level confusion. But what it is, is I have this uh, fear of stopping doing, you know, when the body stops doing, stops moving, stops doing, and then it goes into death. You know, it's like I have this massive fear in my heart, this massive blackness of going into death mode. Um, and I don't know if you have any insights about that. Like I said, I don't know if it's a memory from the dream, like an attack and then hiding in death from the attack or the body freezing and going into immobilization as it does, as it's programmed to do. And my mind thought I'm in death or is it just my belief in death? Whatever comes to mind, that would be helpful. I would be very grateful. Thank you. Yes, yes. Yeah, I've met people over the years who uh, who seem to have like a even what might be called a past life um, recognition and memories where they actually um, go back and remember that, that remember specific death scenes where they were like eaten by birds and then now they in this kind of lifetime or incarnation they seem to have a, a strange relationship with birds a strange fear of birds through nothing that they know of in this life, but it seems to be an association from a past memory. But of course, as we know, that those past memories are all just rising up from beliefs. You know, they literally project out the whole world and our whole history. And everything that seems to be our our personal private history is still all part of a, a, a belief system. I think oftentimes... The ego does associate death with an ending or a breaking of communication. And and the reason it's so traumatic when we think about the, what could seem to be perceived as our own death as a body or the death of loved ones or the memory of, of death uh, of the body is because there's there's a tremendous sense of of loss and grief, and it goes all the way back to the belief in separation from God. All the abandonment issues, the grief issues, the loss issues, and everything that uh, I was just mentioning to uh, a woman from um, from Texas there, yes, um, with her husband just dying. And for you, it's it's. I would say that that. It's the tip of a belief system that has a tremendous fear of loss, a tremendous grief associated with it, because death itself, which is what the entire ego and the entire ego belief system and the whole cosmos is, is the belief that it's possible to usurp God's uh, power, God's creation to make to make an identity other than what God created, to make a, a world and an environment completely different from heaven. And it's this break, it's this sense of uh, the fall from grace, you know, the Adam and Eve and the whole fall from grace. It's all centered on this death belief. Even in, uh, remember the Star Wars movies, you know, and you go along, you watch them, and then they have the Death Star. That's where Darth Vader lives, you know, this kind of black, giant black thing that Luke has got to somehow 
uh, get inside of and, and uh, destroy. He's got to get inside this massive, massive Death Star. And I would say it's very similar in the mind, that the mind has just made all these associations of death being a break from God and also a break from communication. And that's why miracles are collaborative and um, even on the, these, these different groups, we have the 30-day group and the Unwind Your Mind, the, the This Moment is Your Miracle, all the, the Facebook groups that are coming up and all of the, the online retreats and all the resources and tools, they're almost just a way of rinsing your mind and going, as you might take a car to a power wash, uh, you know, where you have to get like seven different rinses and all the suds and the, the brushes and, you know, really it, it's going to take a power wash to, uh, to wash this death belief away. Because it's the central belief of the entire ego belief system. It's like the core. It's the Death Star of the whole belief system. Even though it shimmers and glimmers in other ways and shines, the diamonds are like tears and the rubies are, are like drops of blood, the, the Death Star, you know, is not often recognized uh, for, for what it is. And that's, I think you're just somehow uh, getting more in touch with that in a, in a much deeper way. Thank you. Thank you, Mila. Okay, Jeff's power has gone down, uh, so I'm going to step in. Oh, so. beautiful, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, but next up we do have uh, Sabine. You on mute? Yes. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes. Uh, I would like to see David. I mean, you have a nice face, Peter, but I would like to prefer to see David. Is it possible to put him on the screen? David, if you talk, you'll replace oh, I talk. Is that happening? <laughs> there we go. Yeah, yeah. No, you're there. Thank you. The magic oh. of talking. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. Thank you, David. Thank you for this wonderful talk. I mean, I'm, I'm right now. I'm, Yeah, very. Uh, I think I was, and I'm still. Um, now I lost David again. Um, in a in a t situation of um, where I feel very frightened. It's, it feels like poison in my in my body, and um, I think it has to do with my upcoming my upcoming stay for the online retreat in Mallorca. And um, I expressed this yesterday in my in my email to you and um and it's getting worse and worse i didn't i couldn't sleep tonight and this morning i felt so confused that i thought oh how how am i going to pack my suitcase but then i went to the gym it went it, it got better a little bit but then unluckily um i went on a cycle trip the day before yesterday with a friend and she had a an accident and I had to accompany her to the hospital and like Muna I'm I'm still terrified by death and then I was exposed in this emergency ward with all the horrors of human condition and I had to stay there for hours and yesterday too 
And this is all now mixed up with a fear. Of course, the ego is frightened. I know this. The ego is frightened of getting lost, of being unwinded. Um, unwinded, yeah. Um, but this feels so terrible right now. But I'm on the other side. I'm so excited to go to Mallorca, and, and it was my will, my wish to do this. So uh, there is nothing wrong about it. But now there is coming up the fear: Am I really going to do it? Am I? Am I? Will I be able to do all this? This traveling, although I have traveled the world, so no, it's it's normally no big deal. But it's just this all this fear and terror of of going there, and I don't know what what's coming up. So I would like to put this now on the altar. All this fear and this poison and this confusion and yeah, um, I mean, it was so good to listen to you. This is all a dream and. It, at, in a moment, or just at one particular moment, I was able really to laugh about all this. It's so ridiculous when you think about it. But then the ego takes over again and it starts again. And so you have really to train your mind. And this is why I'm going to the center. I hope I will be, I will, I will be able to train my mind so that I, I, when I practice this, that it cannot take over me so relentlessly that, that I feel helpful and cannot sleep and feel confused. I do not really want this anymore. It must be done once and for all. Okay. Is it possible to see David now again? <laughs> there, can you see me now? I'll talk to you. Yeah. Uh, Sabine, thank you so much. Thank you for, for just pouring your heart out because, because to me, that's the, that's the key right there. It's just, you know, the only way we can laugh at it, the only way we can can feel more and more lighthearted with it is is by exposing it. Because the mesmerism has been thick, and the, all these past memories are just layered upon layer of of saying, telling us that we better be careful. Uh, and and there's so much investment into the body as our home and everything. And you have been able to share too in your in your email just the idea too of like, well, I, I'm my age and all the things that the ego is just checking off as as negatives, you know, to to ratchet up the fear to make you feel more afraid, and uh, and I just want to tell you how you know how loved you are and how welcomed you are here. In fact, what we I see Mitha there. Mitha is going to be coming soon. And I think we, don't we have a, a screen of our, uh, there's a, they're all together in one uh, casita watching this, and I would love it, Peter, if you could just activate uh, that screen. So, so what you're coming to, you can see it's all compressed into, not just me here, but uh, actually all of the ones that are, there they are. <laughs> they're all your mighty <laughs> beautiful just waiting to embrace you and and waiting to love you and and welcome you and uh, I think that's the best a picture's worth a thousand words so <laughs> that's so beautiful that's so beautiful <laughs> just hang in there with faith yes yeah that's it okay well next up we have uh, Portia Hi everybody. Hi everybody. Oh, uh, that's 
Hey, um, I have a horrible echo, so I'm going to get right to the question. Oh, there it went away. Well, I still, I still don't really want to dive into why or what I'm talking about. Um, but David, could you give us your thoughts about suicide and the wish for suicide? Yeah, it's it's just the the wish for suicide is is an is that death wish or that belief that uh, we were just talking about with um, with Muna, and yet it's it's projected onto the body or onto the person, and so instead of seeing it as the death is is literally fragmented perception of seeing separate things and separate objects and in a world of unrelated bits and pieces. Uh, and a whole cosmos of fragmentation, then then that whole death wish gets put down onto a person. And also it relates to what I was talking about, about decisions, because um, sickness, even unto death, even unto the, I always, people say, what's the, what's the worst, worst form of sickness? And I say, well, death, you know, is, is the worst of all, of all of them. There are no order of difficulties uh, for Jesus in, in uh, raising the dead, or healing the sick, or removing symptoms, because because the miracle c cuts across everything, cuts across all the the seeming levels and everything. But but that belief in the ego is just a wrong-minded decision, and then that decision gets projected out to a person, and then the person seems to have suicidal thoughts, thoughts of ending the person, ending the life. And so that's just another version of the projection of, of something from the mind, which I was talking about, that's, that's the key to healing, is to seeing it's all a decision in the mind. And when it gets put out onto a person, then it seems to take the form of, uh, of suicidal thoughts, or, or a suicidal wish. And actually the scribe of A Course in Miracles, I think in, I believe it's in absence from Felicity, there was a time when Bill and Helen um, were together and one of Bill's friends, I think in the Midwest, uh, was having suicidal thoughts and Jesus um, talked to, to Bill and Helen and said, uh, it's, it's very helpful if you call, told Bill through Helen uh, to call this friend up and, um, and, and just the love and the connection and the friendship and everything came through in a way to help um, help bring peace, you know, it was just a, another example of how the miracle is in the mind, but it, it comes through in a very specific way. That Jesus, you know, pick, nobody's part is by accident, and everybody plays their part to the fullest and perfectly. So um, ultimately, I think for yourself, if you have some emotions and intensity around it. Um, I think it could be an opportunity to come back to like lesson 152, the power of decision is my own, that everything I perceive is, is the result of a decision in my mind. And then that's when you pray and ask the Holy Spirit, you know, please offer me the truth, please offer me another way to look at this. Um, if it's something that's weighing heavy on your heart, uh, you you still have the the power to join and connect with Jesus and and to play, say please show me this show me this in a new way. Yeah. 
Oh, we love you. Okay. Next up, we have a uh, Margaret. Hi. Hi. Um. Well, I still seem to be in the phase of uh, that things that used to be my daily chores uh, seem to fall away, uh, mainly because uh, things will be cancelled or um, things that I used to do, um, they're not necessary anymore. And I've been really trying to follow prompts. And... Um, I'm trying to, let me listen, see what my question is. Yeah, I think that the main thing that's what's been going on right now is that um, there's so much shifting between different levels, it seems. I'm identified with the person who is, has this scream that says, please help me. Then I go through these, this level of seeing it's, a, I'm, it's like a dream. And then there are times where I'm just in the, in, in like the laughter of nothingness. And yeah, just, it, yeah, it's, it's again, I guess my, my question seems to always be help me with the confusion and the different views that are like it's all in mind oh no gosh I'm really scared I, I need help it's like sometimes I feel I'm all over the place trying to follow the prompts and hearing the guidance yeah I don't know even I guess what what what's coming up now is exactly how I'm asking the question there's still so much confusion well, thank you, Margaret. Yeah, I think actually um, what you're going through where things seem to be like falling away is uh, is quite common. In fact, uh, Sabine, who was just on, uh, Sabine, was that was part of her question that she wrote in where, with friendships and, and different people in her life, they seem to be uh, falling away at a very rapid rate and... Um, I think it ties in a little bit to what Francis was addressing with Jimmy uh, yesterday, last uh, last night, where where Jimmy had worked so hard to to arrange um, those gatherings for uh, organize those gatherings for Jenny and Greg, and and wanting to bring people there and and see a lot of people, you know, hearing these course ideas and and kind of had a vision in his mind of of how it was supposed to look, and then the way that it looked was so drastically different from the way that he had imagined it to look. And I feel like that's part of um, the trust as we go through this, because in fragmented perception, the ego has, has set up this microcosm of a world, like a private world, and then it tells us, this is who you are. Now, you know, it's almost like Dorothy after she is taken up in the Wizard of Oz from the tor tornado, 
and she's taken to the land of Oz, and it's very distorting for her, you know, like and almost like uh, Alice in Wonderland when she goes down the rabbit hole. It's extremely distorted, but then you start to adapt and adjust to things, and you start to kind of like get a grasp of like, okay, I think I got a handle on it now, like here's my life. And then when we go through this prayer process of, of healing, the prayer of your heart is really to heal, to be totally healed. And there's, what people don't realize is when they really ask Jesus and Spirit for healing, they're asking for perceptions to be rearranged and reorganized. Um, I've had, this, had that happen in my life and there's many people I've met over the years that have witnessed back the same idea, like where they've just prayed for something and and then it's it can seem to happen. Or if they pray for for something in their life and there's some things, people or circumstances that have kind of symbolized a block, that can be cleared pretty pretty quickly. But it's very disorienting when when things fall away so fast that you're accustomed to having there is part of your perception. You know, it's like, what happened there? On the, the flip side, it's, uh, it's beautiful, like here I am in Spain and, uh, you know, it, it works in, in a, an amazing way as well. Like when I, I came over here in November, I was back here again over Christmas, and I had this feeling like Jesus was wanting me to start a center over here in, in Europe. But all of a sudden, it started to hit a bunch of uh, seeming obstacles uh, started coming in the way where uh, the lawyers were involved and the lawyers started uh, arguing and then the, the owner was insulted, felt insulted by one of the lawyers and uh, I don't know, it just started to spin in a very kind of dark way and, and I remember just praying and I... I remember saying, I was over here in Spain and I said, you know what I need? I need a notario like I have in Mexico. Uh, I need to just fire the lawyers and, and get a notario over here like the sweet one that I have, such a sweet notario over there like an angel in Mexico named Luis. So several days went by and, and they called me up and they said, guess what? I said, what? They said, we discovered here in Mallorca a notario, and his name is Luis, and the, he is just the most spectacular guy you'd ever want to meet. He is kind, friendly, he's comprehensive. He was able to handle and pull this whole uh, purchase through in the most amazing ways. I mean, I could see it was Jesus rearranging time and space again. And so it does happen, even though there are times when big hunks of perception seem to fall away, and it's a bit disorienting, the more you get into the miracle, also it will flip around the other way, where, where people will kind of be inserted in, seemingly out of nowhere, uh, that are like angels, that, that seem to just, uh, they're so helpful, and they just carry you through. So I think it's just important to remember that, that it's just one of those phases where even though much is falling away, that's just making space for another rearrangement that's coming that will that will take you deeper inward, uh, you know, that will help you 
go through some more darkness and we really release it in the in the truest way. Expose it and release it. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, David, well, we just have under five minutes. Would you like another question or? Yeah, let's yeah, do let's one more. One more. Okay. okay, sure. We have Kai Jaya. Hi. Can you hear me? Hi. Yes. Um, so there's a line um, in a course that says, infinite love springs from the perception that all beings are equal. And I, I, a block that I have uh, against that is that I, I specialize people that are attractive to me. And that puts them, um, that makes them more valuable. And then somebody who's less attractive to me is less valuable. And um, so uh, um, I'm, just, I'm just noticing that block. And um, the question I have for you is, what is laziness and what is trauma? Okay. Well, the first part, um, I think that's where we have to rely so much on uh, Jesus and the Holy Spirit because what you're describing is just, yeah, that's just the way the ego sets up perception of, of the attractive, the unattractive, trying to draw forth, just like I was reading from that part in the Course, trying to draw forth witnesses uh, based on what the mind wants. And it kind of categorizes people in a certain way, and then it's like, oh, I want some of those around me, and I don't want this, I want these qualities, and I don't want that. You're describing, yeah, that's the way the ego set the whole thing up. And the, the way out for me is, again, for me, was just saying, showing up and saying, I'm here, uh, you're going to have to lead me, you're going to have to show me, and I was just taking on all kinds of seeming adventures where I just, it was almost like, you know, like being thrown into the the Amazon River or something is the way it felt. I mean, I felt like I was in control when I was on the land, but at some point, uh, some of those trips to South America, it felt like I was completely getting washed of control um, of uh, some of those cities and, and countries where I couldn't speak Spanish and the pace of life and, and people inviting me and whisking the, bo the, the body of David around all kinds of places. I felt like I was a bit in the Amazon River bobbing up and down going, okay, Jesus, like this is wild. But I could feel myself loosening from from those kind of preferences and trying to control uh, control the world. Uh, it was a glorious thing. And I think that, I just want to share that if, as you hang in with this, as you really, if you hang in with this, there, there will be whatever's necessary to loosen those kind of judgments and preferences will come along. And it's so different from the ego's perspective, where it's trying to project out a future and control its environment and control its relationships and control everything, basically. Uh, to to just going to that place where you know it's about the equality and you know it's about this heart-centered love um, that that we're here to share and extend. 
But I, I would also say the, the means are the, the miracle, and, and Jesus is in charge of that. He knows exactly uh, where miracles can be bestowed and exactly how to guide us uh, to open our hearts up. And then um, the other thing you mentioned about laziness, uh, you know, it's, I think it, it's something that's quite a harsh judgment from the ego. You know, there are times where we do need rest, where we need to pull back and we need to rest and and the ego will kick in there with some kind of an artificial standard, a doer standard, like you're not doing enough and you could be doing so much more and just very harsh and critical. And then it throws in this laziness idea, uh, basically to try to get the mind to bite on it, you know, like to cave in and go, all right, okay, all right, I'm lazy, I'm lazy as hell, and and this and that, and then the ego says, yep, you are, and uh, and you're guilty. You know, it, it always is going to try to come in with the guilt, so it's going to use anything that it can. And what was the other word that you had? Trauma. Oh yeah, trauma. Yeah, trauma, it, it seems to be that, that ultimately the separation from God, you know, belief is, is like the, we'll call that like the core trauma, and then that's too big to handle. So the mind is like, oh no, I gotta push that way down in the unconscious mind. So not only is the light of heaven pushed out of awareness, but the, but the separation trauma from God is completely pushed out of awareness, and then the ego makes up its bite-sized dramas, uh, bite-sized traumas uh, that are splintered around on the time time space line, where you know you go through something and it seems to be specific. It seems to be around certain people or certain uh, situations, but it's it's really that's just the tip of the iceberg. You know, it's it's through doing all these miracles. We gain more confidence in the spirit, we gain more strength in the spirit, and we gain more willingness to go down to like the Course calls it the last unanswered question. We can, we can go down and face that. We can go down through the obstacles to peace and get down towards the, towards the final, the fourth obstacle, and, and, and then pierce through the veil and go back to heaven. But, um, but the original trauma was the separation, and then it's it's always important not to put get too fixated on on the specifics because that can just go in a loop. Like people will go on, I've been oh therapy for so many years, and or past life regressions. You find the trauma showing up uh, in a in a certain pattern, uh, which sometimes can just feel like it's more reinforcing. Uh, the inevitability of the trauma, when really, it's uh, those are still little offshoots of the of the original fall from grace kind of trauma. So that's that's more of a context. Thank you. Okay, well, I'm so grateful, and I had a beautiful uh, call with Francis and. And Jason, and uh, ah, some amazing uh, clips and montages coming up. Jason has been pouring his heart into that, and we were talking about it and sharing the whole context of of the mastery through love. 
retreat and, and what would come in the best for that. So, so I hope everybody has a nice little break here of a couple hours and tunes back in for another three hours of uh, this time more of montages and movies clips and uh, I think we might even have a, maybe possibly Star Trek and uh, maybe a God friend of me, a mix in there to, that will help really uh, bring home these ideas I've been sharing. So thank you all for joining in. This is always so intimate and I just love you all so dearly and I love being able to see your faces here on the screen as I'm talking. It just feels like we're all here together and all in the same room and I love that uh, that Zoom feature that we have for the gallery view. So. I bid you farewell for now and uh, look forward to seeing you uh, for tomorrow morning session where we can field some more of these questions and have some more interactivity and, and lots of joy and lots of healing. Love you, love you. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Love you. Oh, I love those smiles. We're smiling and smiling back to heaven. Oh, thank you.